in. It's been two months, but Film and Nepotism has returned. Available on iTunes, SoundCloud, and everywhere else you can find a podcast. The board and myself have come to the agreement that the show needs a, a realignment, a push in the right direction, so to speak. No, I don't think you need to get physical. Well, if Bodie gives you any more lip, maybe give him a slap. He has quite the ego. Yes, that's good to hear. You know what to do. Welcome back, you animals. It's episode six of the Film and Nepotism podcast, a show about movies. In contrast, I'm your host, Jared Presswich. We uh, return after a long hiatus, and I'm back with Bodie Cutler, my co-host. How's it going, man? Yeah, it's been good. You know, we've returned from our... Slumber. Hibernation for the winter. And we're back. We're ready to go. I'm really... I'm not going to say I'm excited because of what we're talking about this week, but there is a lot to talk about, and we do have a big show planned, so... Let's get into it first. I want to tell you what the the podcast is about. This is a movie podcast about contrast. What we're doing here is we're discussing two different movies of a similar genre, comparing them, contrasting them, what works, what doesn't work, and why we feel a certain way about movies and how they make us feel as a whole. And um, this is going to be the very first time after episode six that we actually mention at the top of the show, spoilers. Yeah, well, you mentioned that you're not very excited for this show with the topic. I'm very excited about this topic, but... Before we get into our double feature, let's talk about some new release movies that we missed over our, what, two-month break? We have four movies here that we can talk about. Let's start off with Crazy Rich Asians. Crazy Rich Asians is a, is a movie about a couple who meet in New York, are flying back to Singapore for the wedding of a very influential and wealthy family, one that the man of the Crazy Rich Asians relationship happens to be heavily involved in. Well, who would have thought that the director of Justin Bieber, Never Say Never and G.I. Joe Retaliation could make something with this much comedic and dramatic heft. This is one of my favourite movies of the year, for sure. Oh, absolutely. I mean, this movie is beautifully written, it's beautifully shot, the actors are all brilliant, everyone's giving 110%, and the story is absolutely fantastic, and I didn't cry, but I got pretty close, Jared, i got to be honest with you, we were sitting together in the movie theatre, and I was, I was very close. Yeah, it was a really brilliant uh, wedding scene. I don't really like weddings, but uh, let's go into... Well, we're not going to spend too much time on this movie, but what's your favorite character? Mine was Aquafina for sure. She was hilarious. Oh, yes, I loved Aquafina. She was brilliant. Yeah, it's just crazy that a movie like this took this long to come out. In 25 years, it was the last time that a main, like a, a mainstream Hollywood film had a predominantly Asian cast. That's crazy. I hope that movies like these continue to open up doors for people of color and people of different ethnicities to star in leading man Hollywood movies because this was brilliant and it made good money. It had great buzz. It's got great reviews. If you haven't seen it, highly recommended. Well, the influence that cinema has on projecting somebody's culture to the masses, it can't really be understated. So one Woman Black Panther kind of did the same thing and it also helps with their top quality. <laughs> Directed by the guy that did Justin Bieber, Never Say Never. So it comes from the strangest places. So the next movie we're going to talk about Jared is a Nicolas Cage movie, and I didn't think we'd be talking about Nicolas Cage so early on this podcast, but we have Mandy. Yeah, as you said, it does star Nicolas Cage, and it's, um, uh, what is this, what is this movie about? Nobody knows. The first half is definitely about Mandy. Yes. And then, um, there is a lot of violence. (laughs) There is so much violence in this movie, it's absolutely ridiculous. Yeah, it's kind of a pseudo-fantasy kind of film, but also in the real world. It was very confusing, but I thought it was pretty damn good it was definitely unique it was absolutely unique the cinematography in this movie is incredible some of the shots in this movie are just 
absolutely gorgeous. The use of color and lighting is just played so beautifully, and I, I really enjoyed it too. It's a, it's, it's a revenge movie, I think I would say. Yeah, the music as well is very good. And speaking of Nick Cage, there's definitely some uh, crazy Cage moments. I think back to one <laughs> one part where he's um, in his bathroom in his underwear with a bottle of vodka just screaming. He's just like, ah! That was that was classic. That was classic. If you've ever wanted to see Nick Cage disembowel a man from head to toe, holding chainsaws and fighting off people with chainsaws as swords, then this really is the movie for you, and I think it will scratch an itch for for some people. Yeah, I think the only thing maybe it's a bit a little bit too long for me, but other than that, I recommend everyone go out and see it. It's definitely one of the most unique movies of the year, maybe of the last five years for sure. So our third movie. Oh, boy. <laughs> He's not unique, Jared. Not even a little bit. <laughs> yeah, that's The Predator, directed by Shane Black, one of my favorites. We talked about him in the first episode. He directed Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, and he made this for some reason. Oh, my goodness me. This is... Uh... Disappointing is the word, Bodie. Disappointing. It's just a bad movie, unfortunately. There is very little redeeming qualities that Predator has. It's not funny. It's barely interesting. The characters are forgettable. And there's something bigger that I want to touch on here, and that's the whole concept of sequels that replace the main evil of movies with something that's just a little bit bigger and a little bit badder. And this is an absolute lazy, terrible way to write movies, I think. Yeah, I think the main main takeaway for me is that nothing is really earned in this movie. So it tries this kind of subplot of autism being the next, you know, the next evolutionary step for humanity, but it's not fleshed out and we don't really know what's going on. Like, it's just not earned. Same with the team dynamic. Like, they're meant to be friends and work together and whatnot, but, like, two scenes ago they were fighting, and now they say that they're family or whatnot. And same with Sterling K. Brown's character, like, his death. Spoilers, as we said. <laughs> but that was just so random, and I feel bad for anyone that went and saw this that is a fan of Predator. So this is very disappointing. Yeah, it is. It's absolutely just horrible. I mean, again, we, we, we mentioned spoilers, but the villain of this movie is just a taller Predator. The Predator is already a terrifying villain when done correctly. The movies from the 80s and from the 90s did a great job of making this claustrophobic hunting monster feel like something that was genuinely evil and able to kill, and they almost turn into some form of slapstick comedy. Heads are flying all over the place in this movie, and people are getting shot in the behind, and just... That's not interesting, and it totally ruins a lot of great source material, and and it's not just The Predator. Many action movies do this that are rebooted or given sequels later on, and totally unearned. Please don't go see this movie, even if if you're thinking about it. I guess after seeing this movie, you would say, oh, why doesn't Shane Black go back and make something like Kiss Kiss Bang Bang or The Nice Guys? But The Nice Guys made no money, so I can't really blame him for trying to tackle something like this. And uh, fun fact, he was actually in the original Predator. He was part of Schwarzenegger's group. He was the jokey guy. That is a fun fact, actually. (laughs) Anyway, let's. uh, believe it or not, it does get worse, Bodie. We got Venom. This is our last movie, Venom, starring Tom Hardy. Uh... I think your silence tells me what you thought of this. Yeah, I mean, my head's in my hands right now because nothing about this movie can possibly be saved by Tom Hardy. And this isn't even a good Tom Hardy performance. No, I'd say it's not just the worst Tom Hardy performance. He puts a performance right up there with the great Tommy Wiseau in this movie. <laughs> it was ridiculous. He had his, his dialogue choices. I heard there was a lot of improv with this film. And, oh, man, rough. <laughs> yeah, Tom Hardy's not an improv character. Uh, how Tom Hardy manages to play two characters and both of them be equally as bad as each other is beyond me because he is the voice of Venom as well. And it, it's just annoying. Hmm. It's annoying how bad 
Venom and Tom Hardy are in this movie. Yeah, the movie is clearly hacked to the bone, whether that's from you know the movie just not working in the editing bay or the studio interference. I don't know. We don't really know. And I would say that Venom is probably the best part of this movie when he goes full Venom, but there's not enough of it, and we don't see him until, what, maybe an hour and 15? Yeah, exactly. And then the movie's over in 45 minutes after that, so there's not really enough time to get the best part of the movie out there. And, yeah, you're right, Jared. They totally hacked this movie to pieces. It's paced terribly. We don't see Venom for well over an hour into the movie, and then all of a sudden the the movie is over. And also, I've got a big gripe. This is this is to Sony, man. I know you're listening. Sony. Sony Pictures. Stop putting the ending of your movies in the trailers. They've done this before, and they did this with Venom. So if you haven't seen Venom and you want to, don't watch the trailers, because there's the end of the movie right there. Big yeah. pet peeve of mine. The CG is not even great, either. I think they've fixed up a lot of it since the first couple of trailers, but... You, you can still see it. I, I would say this is worse than Predator, but I was definitely more disappointed in Predator just because it had more potential with the director and whatnot. As soon as Venom was announced and the director that was announced with it, I was like, you know, this is going to be pretty bad. But anyway, uh, let's get get all positive again, Bodhi, and let's talk about our main topic, and that is video game movies. It's October. This is usually the big time for video game releases, so why not? Yeah, absolutely, and there are some some video games coming out in the next week or two that I'm sure both of us are looking excited for, and of course some of our, all three of our fans might be excited for as well. You know, Red Dead Redemption uh, video games like that coming out very soon, which I'm sure many people are excited for. Let's jump into Mortal Kombat 1995. <laughs> Mortal Kombat, like I mentioned, is a 1995 Paul W.S. Anderson film, and it made, Jared, this movie made $122 million at the box office, and it's actually not that bad. No, it isn't. I came in knowing that it was considered one of, if not the best, video game movie, which isn't saying much, but I was still apprehensive since I, I always saw it as a so bad it's good kind of nostalgia trip, but I had a blast with this movie. As soon as the theme song kicked in, I was amped. I was ready, and I was not disappointed. This was actually, surprisingly, a really good time. Yeah, I, I really like this movie. It's cheesy as hell. It's absolutely ridiculous, but it is so much fun. Of course, the, the plot of Mortal Kombat in general is that it's about three fighters who are drafted into an intergalactic martial arts tournament as the paragons of Earth to save, uh, to save humanity. Yeah, the first 15 minutes serves as a kind of intro to all of our, you know, our motley crew of fighters sending them on their way to the Mortal Kombat tournament, where the rest of the film is set, which I appreciated. You know, in video game movies, they kind of, like, stuff everything in, but I found this surprisingly streamlined. It could have easily gone the other way, being a fighting game with so many characters, you'd want to put so many in. But, yeah, they did a good job with the three main leads. It was Sonya Blade, Liu Kang, and Johnny Cage, and they all worked well together. Obviously, the acting isn't the best, but they had good chemistry with each other. I think one of the things that makes this movie work so, Mel, is that there is barely any legitimate plot going on in this movie. You know, they get it all out of the way as quickly as possible, and they get back to what these kind of movies really need to do, and that's show us the violence or the motives of the characters in the movie based on the video game. And are you familiar with the Mortal Kombat games? Reasonably, yeah. I mean, I did play fighting games when I was a bit younger, and Mortal Kombat was definitely a big part of that. Yeah, I mostly played the the kind of reboot one that was on Xbox 360, uh, and that's 
I really enjoy that game. Mortal Kombat's probably my favorite fighting franchise, but I'm not a big fighting game fan, but I still knew the main story going in. I'm curious to see whether not playing the games would translate well to this movie, but I think it was good enough in its explanation of what was going on. Yeah, like I said, there isn't enough explanation, which is the best thing for it because it just gets right to what you want to see from these kind of movies. Some dumb action, suspense, fun. Like I said, the cast was pretty good. I enjoyed it. The guy that played uh, Shang Tsung, the villain, was good. But uh, Christopher Lambert as Raiden. <laughs> uh, he, he, whoever doesn't know, he's from Highlander. He's Speaking of Tommy Wiseau, he's kind of like a pre-Tommy Wiseau. Like, he does that laugh. He's like, ha, 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 I'm Raiden. <laughs> Yeah, well, that was more like McConaughey, but yeah, it's just his intro when he like goes from under his hat. He's like, "Huh?" It was classic, classic stuff. But um, <laughs> Christopher Lambert, man, I, I forgot he was in this. When I saw him, I laughed out loud. I'm really glad you enjoyed this film, Jared, because it's something that I've really been hoping that you would get around to watching. It it is one of those almost cult style video game movies that I I really do recommend that people watch because this is exactly how to do it right. And we will get on later to something perhaps that didn't quite do the same. But Jared, if you had to describe something about this movie that you maybe didn't like, what what do you think it would be? I'd say it's just a little bit dated. It's not really their fault. Uh, They had some pretty awful CGI, you know. (laughs) It, it, It was no Jurassic Park. But speaking of CGI, you know what they didn't do? They didn't make Goro CGI. And he was probably my favorite part of this movie. He was... Crazy, insane. I was all in for Goro, the guy with the forearms, in case anyone didn't know. And rightly so, too, because there are so many great character moments in this movie. You know, for some reason, in this movie, there are a lot of close-up shots of people's faces reacting to things. Of course, it's a martial arts-style movie, but you get to see the expressions on people's faces when they're punched or when they're surprised, really up, up and full, and it's cheesy, and it's just brilliant. One of the best cheesy moments in this movie is when Goro... They're like, oh, Goro, it's time for you to fight. And then it shows, like, 20 shots of different martial artists falling into the same, like, bed of pebbles. They're like, oh, oh. And you don't see Goro do anything. But if you want to show some menace with your villain, there you go. Filmmakers, do that. Bring it back. The pebble shot. The pebble shot. And speaking of um, close-up faces when Goro got punched in the nuts, that was a great moment. That was a great moment. (laughs) The the music in this movie as well is... It's iconic. It's absolutely iconic. It's just brilliant. It's... It sets the scene and sets the idea of this world up for people so effortlessly. It's just absolutely brilliant. It's very unapologetic to its roots as well. There's so many video game movies, not just fighting game ones, that kind of stray away and they just use it for IP so people go in and see it. But Mortal Kombat itself is a very goofy franchise, just in the games as well, and they didn't shy away from that. And this is directed by Paul W.S. Anderson, who you may know directed the Resident Evil movies, which are not good. I do not like those. They're terrible. They're absolutely terrible, and there's like a billion of them. But for a fighting movie, I don't think the fights themselves are particularly impressive. They do this common kind of, I don't know, I don't want to call it lazy, but whenever a hit is made, they just cut to a close-up. So a guy throws the punch, and for the connection, it's just close-up, like fist across face. <laughs> I'm like, come on, man. I wouldn't call it lazy. I would call it like tropey. You know, that's like the easy. That's like the that's the easy trope for fighting movies. You know, is you see the punch go, and then all of a sudden you see a guy's face sort of fall backwards to a punch. I think it's um, obviously the the fighting is not the best part of this movie. Which if you were going in expecting a martial arts superstar movie a la Jet Li, that's definitely not what you're going to get with this movie. You're going to get a bit of dumb fun, and it's actually really enjoyable. I'm pretty disappointed that we didn't get a good follow-up to Mortal Kombat because it ended on a cliffhanger, but Mortal Kombat Annihilation is the sequel, but a bunch of people were recast, different creative team, and it's known as one of the worst studio movies ever. 
You're alive. Too bad you will die. It's bad. I wouldn't recommend seeing that. <laughs> and thank goodness we didn't do that one for the podcast. Oh, God. God, no. But I will say that this is probably up there with the best video game movies of all time. Like I said, there's not much competition. Maybe there's, you know, the original Tomb Raider with Angelina Jolie, Prince of Persia. You know, want to throw any more at me? Pixels. Oh, God. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't see Rampage this year. Apparently that was okay. It's, I mean, if The Rock can make the movie Rampage make $400 million, I mean, really he can do anything. It was not a good movie, Rampage. All right, let's move on to our second film in the double feature, and that's 2018's Tomb Raider. Jared, wait one moment. I've got a few notes here, if you don't mind. So this is a close set. I don't know how you got in here, but the you... higher ups let me in here. They don't think you've been giving the audience enough facts and information on these movies. Higher ups, we don't even get paid yeah. for this. And people want more facts about these movies, not just your opinions. Well, this is our show. If you don't get out of here, hit my music. Bodie, did you know that despite a solid 91% of Google users liking the film, critics fucking hated it, giving it a 34 on Rotten Tomatoes. I'm all right. And Jared, did you know that both Tom Cruise and Johnny Depp were considered for the role of Johnny Cage? Uh, Interesting. And did you guys know who the highest-ranking martial artist on the set was? Because I think the audience would really want to know. I don't think so. No? Well, it was Francois Petit. And the character Arlene, played by Kenneth Edwards... He wasn't even in the games. He was ex- created exclusively for the movie. And did you know, at one hour and 12 minutes when the chameleon creature takes over the body of an outworld statue and rises as a green ninja, you can hear a really quiet voice. That voice? That's Shao Kahn from the games. They took the sample directly from Mortal Kombat 2. Please stop. Please. And finally, did you know that Frank Welker was uncredited as the voice of Reptile in Shao Kahn? Hell, the voice Walker gave for Shao Kahn was almost identical to Dr. Claw and Inspector Gadget. Well, and well, that's my segment. I hope you two keep this in mind. Don't make me come back here. Bye. What, what the, the fuck? What are you doing here, Laura? Seven years, I've been on this island. Your father, he put me here. Now I see the likeness, intelligence, the recklessness. What do you know about my father? So Tomb Raider was released in 2018, and it was directed by Raw Uthag, and stars Oscar winner Alicia Vikander as Lara Croft, where something something, tombs, something something, grand adventure, something something, family lineage. Bodie, what did you think of Tomb Raider? Well, look, Jared, we're not going to lambast this movie immediately and there were a couple of relatively interesting parts to this movie that in a different world could have been capitalized on but this movie sucks it is as forgettable as the day is long yeah every year there seems to be a movie that gets hyped before releases the one to finally break the streak of terrible terrible video game adaptations like warcraft was that did not work assassin's creed did not work and unfortunately tomb raider is another one that fell to the sword it's a shame One of the most annoying things about blockbuster movies in 2018 is how the main character is immune to everything bad happening to them. Tomb Raider is a great example of a movie that is trying too hard to make you believe that Lara Croft is interesting or complex without actually showing you any of that process. In your movie called Tomb Raider, the first action scene is a little bike ride through the city of London or wherever she was. Yeah, it probably doesn't bode well for the rest of the film. 
No, they just voice over the entire critical plot of the film until the tomb raiding actually starts about an hour into the movie. Then uh, Lara Croft, essentially, she becomes functionally unkillable. You know, anything bad that happens to her, she brushes off. You know, she falls through a series of trees and where she definitely would have died and she gets stabbed and she gets chased by people with knives and she's totally fine. I think Alicia Vikander was fine in the role. Like, she's, as I said, an Oscar-winning actress. She's a great actress. But I feel like the filmmakers just let her down. It's shot and edited with no real no real flair or life or tension. Like, there's a scene where she's cascading down the waterfalls, and I just don't care. It's just done so monotonous. I just, you know, just go through the motions, you know, watching her, you know, get into a various strife. So, have you played any of the Tomb Raider games? Yeah, I have. I've played the original Tomb Raider, and I've played the, the more recent ones that have come out as well. Not the, the one that came out this year, mind you. Yeah, I played the one from 2013, and that's what this movie is mostly based on. So, on paper, I'd look to have you know, all the parts of making a successful blockbuster, like some good source material, an Oscar-winning lead actress, an unknown but capable indie director, but uh, do you know what's missing, Bodhi? Everything else. Well, that, that's actually what I said on my notes. That's great. Good work. You've been listening to me. Oh, yeah. I mean, this is a podcast about nepotism, after all. Yeah, so I think the main thing where the filmmakers got lost, in the game from 2013, Lara's constantly at odds with the people on the island, the environment, whatever. And there's this one really great sequence that I remember from the games where she's just wading through this tunnel of blood and she's like shivering and crying. We feel bad for her because she just gets pretty much shit on the whole movie. And she finally, you know, learns her, the tools of the trade and gets her revenge and we feel good for her, you know? But this, it's just, as I said, I was just going through the motions and I feel like Lara Croft was at, at times as well. She's like, eh, you know go through this camp with a bow and arrow. It just doesn't make any sense why we should care about Lara Croft when she, at the beginning of the movie, is seen to be poor, and then she takes a little bike ride, and all of a sudden we find out that she's worth millions and millions and millions of dollars. There are no lasting stakes in this movie that matter at all, and that's not even getting to the part with finding her father. The father subplot is pretty dime a dozen. Uh, I don't really know why. I don't even know. It probably was lore from the original games. I'm not sure. But they just dragged it on and on. And uh, it's just, I don't know why they're bringing all this movie filler stuff into a video game adaptation. Where, you know, obviously you got to change some stuff for a movie. But they're not getting the things from the games that the people really grasped onto in the first place. They just, ugh, just ugh. As we were talking about before with Mortal Kombat, one of the things that they do is that they just leave it to the plot and the ideas of the video games. And for some reason in this movie, Lara Croft needs a big shady organization that she must take down at the center of an international conspiracy where friend and family could potentially be foe instead of just raiding some damn tombs. Yeah, I don't, I don't remember. I think there was, you know, the ending was some tomb raiding where she was like solving some puzzles, but... It was yeah. It was just it was just a bit of a bore. I'm kind of running out of things to talk about with this movie because I was watching it last night. And I'm just like, Ugh, just forgettable. Super, yeah, just super bland. And this came out this year, and it feels like a movie that would have come out what like twelve years ago, like that kind of like National yeah. Treasure. But I think National Treasure is better than this. Yes, it is because there's actually some stakes in that movie, and there's actually some interesting deduction going on. Lara's anytime Lara Croft needs to do any sort of investigating, there's a nice little tape recording of her dad to tell her exactly what she needs to do in exactly the right time, and then there's some voiceover of some other things that's definitely going to happen. We don't see any Lara Croft, Lara Crofting in this movie at all. No, and there are a bunch of things in the plot that just don't make sense, like she gets the deed to the house or whatever and goes and finds his tape recording and is like, Lara, you must, you must burn all my things before it's too late, but it was like seven years after he disappeared. 
Like, why? That makes no sense. I thought that guy was meant to be a smart, smart man, but... And also, the villains are pretty dime a dozen as well. Walton Goggins is in that. Like, you, you saw him from, you know, a couple Quentin Tarantino movies. He was in Ant-Man and the Wasp. Like, he's a pretty good, like, kind of almost flamboyant character actor, but he's just kind of, oh, I want to get back to my kids. But that's it. Like, they, the filmmakers just thought that was enough for us to take interest in him. Exactly. And, I mean, his bad guy army of militant gun-toting islanders have worse aim than stormtroopers in this movie. <laughs> yeah. Lara is walking through the jungle, barely running. And also she's a injured. girl with no training, by the way. No training whatsoever. She can box a little bit. She gets beat up twice in, in the beginning of the movie. Yeah, she hit an apple with the bow and arrow on her third try. Good job. Yep. We don't care about Lara Croft as a character. And Alicia Vikander, uh, like you said, Joe, she's a great actress, but she's not trying all that hard to make Lara Croft believable in this movie. Yeah, I just love, as you said before, that she just brushes off stuff. Like when she falls down through trees. I don't know what happened. Like, I don't. I can't remember. But she fell, and she's like got this dagger or something or a bit of shrapnel in her stomach, and she's like, Ugh! pulls it out. Dad? <laughs> My father. <laughs> she just immediately moves He's been on. gone for seven years, and yeah. now here he is, and for some reason, he doesn't remember her. Yeah, it's just yeah, it's just so weird. I don't, I don't know. I'm not really um, an expert on cabin fever, island fever, or whatever, but he immediately got over his sickness from being alone for, what, seven years? Immediately. He's like, oh, no, now I'm proper. Did you go to Oxford or Harvard? And my fingers motion will now make you whole again. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's right. That thing was hilarious. That, that all, Like, a really bad movie always has those, like in Face Off, like how they put their, they put their <laughs> hand over the face that had that they yeah. had the two-finger kiss, and that was so... So bad when he was like finally going to um, sacrifice himself, and yeah, that made me laugh out loud. So the movie is needlessly dramatic as well, and not in a good way. Why there are so many sweeping shots and long pauses for dialogue in this movie as well? You could be watching some sort of Martin Scorsese period drama, and you'd have no idea that these shots were just lifted into Lara Croft. Like, why is Tomb Raider have these sweeping cinematic shots of water and with beautiful? scenic backgrounds with zero payoff. It doesn't make any sense. It's totally wasted in this movie. I don't think the scenic shots are even all that good. I didn't really get a sense of the, you know, the power of the island. You know, obviously there's yeah, some power exactly. behind the island with the storms, and apparently the guy has an army, but we only see, what, like five henchmen the whole time? Yeah, roughly. <laughs> yeah, I did, we just didn't get that scope. Like, it didn't have a $200 million budget, but, you know, as, as, as we keep on saying, eh, eh, mm. I feel like the filmmakers were probably just like, eh, eh. Yeah, everybody in this movie was just meh. And I, this, this is more a critique of just today's movies in general, but why does every single blockbuster have to end with, oh, there's going to be a sequel before they've earned it? To be fair, to be fair, Mortal Kombat had that as well, but that was a good movie. Yeah, exactly. I mean, uh, Predator uh, and Venom as well both did the exact same thing. They came out this year and they're both movies that go, ooh, what about the next one? You have to be here for the next one. Yeah. <laughs> Come back in three years. Oh, wait. I don't know what's going to happen with Tomb Raider, the sequel. I haven't seen any. No, I haven't seen anything about it. Like, I know they were trying to do some sort of shared universe. <laughs> what, with G.I. Joe and uh, no, Transformers? No, not G.I. Joe, but it's like, I think some other, like, video game uh, companies, but I don't think that's going to happen. Mario? No, Mario, yeah. <laughs> Super Mario and Tomb Raider? Yeah, Tomb Raider and uh, Waluigi are going to go yeah. on an adventure together. And Yoshi's Island. <laughs> now let's move on to our... What do we call it? What do we call this segment again? Contrast and nepotism. <laughs> <laughs> the contrast and nepotism segment where we talk about both films and how they relate to each other specifically. So what, how do you think Mortal Kombat and Tomb Raider 
where they go right and where they go wrong, etc. I think this is going to be the topic of a good discussion for the pair of us, but I think one of my biggest issues with video game movies is that they are held back by fanatical lovers of the source material. I think it might be a controversial opinion to, to say that, but I think that a lot of movies would be better suited to the stories they want to tell by removing themselves from such a tethered fan base, especially in video games, because... There are so many people that played the Tomb Raider games. There are so many people that played Mortal Kombat. There are so many people that played all the the terrible, terrible movies you mentioned before, Assassin's Creed, etc. But where they go wrong, especially in this movie, is that they have to blend, and it's it's either due to studio or it's due to hubris of the designers or for some reason thinking that they need these subplots and plots that don't make any sense. But they just ruin these movies by melding them all together and trying to steal the intellectual property of the Tomb Raider and turning it into a movie that's barely Tomb Raider-y. The studios didn't didn't want to make a Tomb Raider movie. They just made an action-adventure movie, and because Tomb Raider is a known property, they just put the name on it. There you go. I hate that about video game movies. I hate that about comic book movies as well because they're they're so tethered to these fan bases and they're going to totally ruin any opportunities that these movies have to be successful if they keep doing it like this. It's not uh, working. What kind of comic book movies are you talking about? Well, I think from a comic book movie perspective, you know, uh, even something like Venom, which is obviously it has to be dictated by the source material, is not a good movie because it's so bogged down by the universe that it finds itself in that it totally loses all the identity that it's supposed to build up. Anything that comes out of it, mixed with studio and mixed with directors who are working really hard to get their own flair onto these movies with such difficult source productions, ruins these movies and it makes them so uninteresting to watch. I think that's I think that's a big difference between Marvel movies and DC movies. One of them is very successful, the other one isn't really. And Marvel they focus on character first. These aren't really plot-driven movies, these are character-driven movies. For better or worse, you might enjoy one or the other. But I feel like they have more to latch onto for an audience and that's why they've continued on and become more and more successful. These video game movies they don't focus on character. They focus on Maybe a little, a few nods, you know, Tomb Raider, like, uh, Lara Croft has two guns at the end. Woo, like, who cares? Who gives a crap? If you don't care about Lara, you're not going to care about that moment. You know what I mean? Exactly, yeah. And look, a, a female-led corporate espionage spy movie, which this movie fails miserably to be or even to make us care about in any way, especially even in the last scene when she's trying to tie it all together to this major criminal organization, that would be great to watch. But because they bogged the first nearly two hours down with all this stuff that they just had to put in to try and sell tickets, you know, they they ruin it. And they they do so poorly and they, they ruin it being a Tomb Raider movie. They ruin it being a good movie. They ruin it being a completely different movie because they try to splice it all together in a nice little package for major audiences. And it doesn't work. It never works. Yeah, studios are just afraid that audiences well they there's just this entire thought that audiences are dumb and they need and they need it, everything spoon fed at them they don't think that people are going to be able to grasp i don't know what's so hard to grasp about tomb raider but look at mortal kombat that was completely like if you don't get it whatever like it's easy enough to follow like and they follow the games and i don't think the audiences had any problems with it like you said it was top of the box office for three weeks Back in 1995. And you mentioned Shane Black before, and The Nice Guys is a great example of something like this, because there's a reason that 
Hollywood gets so scared. It's because the nice guys, uh, uh, it's loved by reviewers. It's, it's objectively loved. good. It's an objectively good movie. It's a fantastic movie. It's really interesting. It's funny. It's, there's great action and drama. Made no money. It made absolutely no money, and that's the reason why they're scared. It's because the audiences don't show up to new properties, and they're ruining existing properties in lieu of new properties working. Yeah, you put out the movie Tomb Raider as it is, but you call it something else like Felicity Jones. Not Felicity Jones. That's an actual actor. <laughs> that's yeah. That's the that's an actress. Um, Sarah May Tomb Raider. No, or... no, not even Tomb Raider. Like um, Coffin Breaker. This, uh, but have it have it the same movie. This movie will make tops hundred mil maximum. Even with Alicia Vikander Oscar winning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Alicia, Alicia Vikander is playing Sarah as well. Yeah. But you you put that exactly the same movie. Father Intrigue. Blah blah blah. But Sarah May. Coffin Breaker, 100 mil max. But you put Tomb Raider, Lara Croft Tomb Raider on it, what would it make, 240-something? It made it made $1 million less than the Angelina Jolie Tomb Raider. $1 million less. Yeah, have you seen that? Yes. Yeah, that was my... She was my first crush, Angelina Jolie, from that movie. Who's, who's your first crush? Oh, definitely Gladriel from Lord of the Rings. Interesting, interesting choice. Pointy ears. Yeah, that was it. That was what did it for me. What, what should people look out for if they want to be excited about video game movies? Well, it should be the filmmakers first, for sure. Because this is a movie. I know we talk about, oh, we did, they didn't do it from the video game. In the end, it is a movie. They need a good director and a good writer. I think the main thing with video game movies, they don't have a good script. I think that's the main thing. But how can you predict a good script? So, sorry, fans. I guess you got to just dive head first. <laughs> Grit your teeth and hope for the best, really, when it comes yeah, to this stuff. I don't know what video game will break the curse, honestly. I'd, I don't know if Uncharted will. Because I think there's a movie coming out. I don't know, like Red Dead, maybe, I don't know, Mass Effect. There's a bunch of story-driven games, but then again, what's the point of making it into a movie when they're already very cinematic themselves? And a lot of the ones that people consider or have been asking for are being turned into TV shows because there's more of a chance to explore character in television. Like Halo and plenty more that I don't remember off the top of my head. That's pretty much my solution for everything. Would have been better on TV. Yeah, exactly. Look, <laughs> HBO, if you can just eventually just take over all of Hollywood. I would prefer that. Yeah, yeah. Guys, that's pretty much going to do us for today. This is probably going to be the longest episode that we've ever done, of course. We've got a lot of reviews at the start, and some guy broke in here, and there was facts. and. Let's not talk about that. Uh, let's let's not talk about that. If we say his name three times, he might reappear. Please uh, don't. All right, let's get out of here before it's too late. Um, Jared, thank you very much for today. No worries. You know, the Facebook page is where we're at. We always try... Well, not always. Well, we try to keep people updated on what's happening. Uh, we're on Twitter as well. We're on iTunes, Google Podcasts, SoundCloud. Those are the main three. Like anywhere think... you get your podcasts, Yeah, that's everywhere. where you can find us. Yeah, so anyway, from Bodie Cutler and myself, Jared Presswidge, it's good to be back. We'll be back next week with another episode. Goodbye.